Speed Cafe Newscast. Your host, Mark Fogarty. This is Speed Cafe Newscast. Breaking the big stories and talking to the big names. I'm Mark Fogarty and here's what's coming up. Singapore Sling. Supercars close to Formula One deal. Ricardo Redemption. What's behind his Formula One return? Supercar's parity latest, renewed focus on Ford engines. All this and more straight ahead on Speed Cafe Newcast, the place of pace for motorsport news. Hi there, race fans. New name, new home, but the same emphasis on news and informed opinion, only bigger and better. Tapping into the worldwide resources of speedcafe.com. So, let's get into it. Supercar's long-held ambition to be the major support act at the Formula One Singapore Grand Prix is much more than a pipe dream. Speed Cafe has learned that the Singapore Grand Prix organisers have serious interest in having the Aussie V8s as the main daytime entertainment on the Marine Bay street circuit. Now, there's been chat about this for quite a while now and lots of speculation about whether it could happen. But we're hearing high-level talks between the Singapore Grand Prix organisers and supercars are close to a deal. A Supercars Championship round alongside Formula One on the city-state island could happen as soon as next year. The clincher is that the Singapore Grand Prix organisers will pay supercars to air freight in and out, plus a sanction fee, all told worth up to $3 million. Scheduled for September 20 to 22 in 2024, It'll be a tight timeline ahead of the Bathurst 1000, likely to be just three weeks later. But supercars teams are on board if it makes financial sense. Multinational Monaco-based team owner Ryan Walkershaw suggests supporting the Singapore Grand Prix would have many benefits. Look, it's an interesting question, and this is one of those, those debates that divides um, teams, that divides fans' opinions. Um, it divides people's opinions in supercars, you know, because there's an argument for, you know, wanting to grow the sport and looking at, you know, exciting things in, internationally. Um, the benefits of that, you know, being able to attract international sponsors and partners, um, you know, trying to be a, a, a bigger fish in the global motorsport scene, um, you know, supporting Formula One and, and piggybacking off of the incredible success and growth that Formula One is having. You know, there's obvious, clear advantages there and benefits and, uh, and opportunities. Um, but there's also a focus that, you know, we, we could still be doing a better job here in Australia. Um, you know, I'd love to see more street circuits in Australia. I'd love to see a Geelong race. I'd love to see something back in Canberra. And I'd love to see us do a couple more races at, at the permanent circuits here as well, you know, and ensure that, you know, the grassroots and the, and the passion is still Australia. And we need to make sure that we're nurturing that to the maximum that we can. So I think there's a balance like everything in life. Um, I'd love to be able to do a couple of international events because I think it would be a very cool thing to do and I think it would be good for the sport, good for the teams, as long as the economics make sense and that you know, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're you know, making money and, and doing the right thing and it's in proper time zones and so on. Um, but you know, I'd like to see that in conjunction with you know, a growth in the series locally in Australia as well um, and ensuring that that balance between the two is, is met. But I'm 
quite confident that that's the focus of supercars. Um, you know, we know where our bread is buttered, uh, and it's here in Australia. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't go and do some exciting events at, at prestigious uh, uh, circuits and, 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 and events uh, around the world if the opportunity is there and it makes sense financially. Generally speaking, Walkinshaw supports a renewed look at overseas events. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not going to speculate on which specific circuits are, 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 are potentially um, you know, being looked at or events. Um, uh, I think your your comment was the important one. If it stacks up financially, um, you know, we're all pragmatic people in this racing category, um, and as long as something is a is an additional value add and doesn't detract from what we're doing locally, and the, you know, it stacks up financially for the teams and for the sport, um, you know, I think it would be irrational or illogical, should I say. Um, to not uh, to, to not explore it, um, you know, because everyone everyone wins. Um, so, and I can't speak on behalf of the other teams, but from Walkinshaw Andretti United's perspective, we're an international team with Andretti and United anyway. So, for us in particular, you know, it, we, we'd be excited about the opportunity if done the right way to go and race internationally. Walkinshaw believes supercars has international appeal, particularly in America. Potentially, I think it depends on each market, right? Um, we, and we've already tested a couple with supercars, and some some sort of worked and some sort of didn't. I think that the market in the US is, this is just me personally talking, nothing to do with supercars or any potential conversations that may be going on, because I don't know anything there are there, but from my personal view, I still think that the US is, 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 is a, an obvious um, opportunity for supercars if done the right way. Um, I don't think we had a fair crack at Austin. Um, you know, it would have been good to go and develop that over a couple of, a couple of years. I think Shane doing what he did in NASCAR has shone a, a, a really good spotlight on supercars and the talent of drivers that we have here. Um, and I think that there's some uh, momentum there that could be, uh, could be played with. Um, at the end of the day, you know, particularly now that we're Camaros and Mustangs, it makes a lot more sense for the Australian consumer motorsport fan. Um, so I think there's some opportunity there. Um, but when you're looking at Europe and things like that, I mean, you know, there are potential places you could go there where it may make sense. I think you know, it'd be a bit of a novelty going there. I think that would be an attraction, but building a fan base there would, would be difficult for obvious reasons. And it's so unbelievably competitive in Europe when it comes to motorsport. You know, you're, you're fighting against um, lots of different, very, very well-established um, uh, motorsport series. Um, but I think, in, and you're also then fighting the time zone issue because you don't really want to be racing supercars, in my opinion, in a time zone that's going to be in the middle of the night for Australia because it's not going to be good for our fans or for our partners. Um, but I think if done the right way, there's some specific events and circuits around um, Asia, potentially the Middle East and, uh, and the US, which uh, if done correctly, uh, with the right uh, strategy and, uh, and it makes financial sense for everyone involved, that, uh, that could be great opportunities. And um, you know, I think it would be silly not to explore them and see what they present because I think you know, we'd, be, uh, we'd be surprised how many people globally uh, know about supercars, enjoy watching our races. We're still the best touring car, most exciting touring car category on the planet. Uh, some of the best drivers and best teams in the world. Um, and I think there's an enormous amount of value there. And I think we should be proud of what we do and what we are as a, as a category. Um, and I think, you know, if done the right way, it could be, it could be really a, a fantastic initiative. So, back to supercars at the Singapore Grand Prix. Will it work? Why do they want it? Speed Cafe Formula One editor Matt Koch questions the thinking behind adding supercars to the Singapore GP undercard. I can understand this from a supercars perspective because it it gives them that international exposure and potentially opens up the Asian market. So I understand it from that perspective. Australia is a comparatively small market. Asia is is huge. So get in there and get some cash. But from 
Singapore's perspective, it it confuses me a little bit. They've never struggled for track action. They've often had in recent years things like Porsche Carrera Cup, W Series, Thailand Super Series on the support bill. So there's always been something there. One of the interesting things with Singapore is that you're able to go out during the day and then you head to the racetrack in the evening. Track action starts mid-afternoon and then runs on into the night. Singapore, why would it want to pay for support categories it arguably doesn't need? Last year, the event was sold out. So they're not going to sell more tickets by having supercars there. What does it achieve for the local promoter? That's what confuses me. I understand supercars' appetite. I don't understand Singapore's appetite because it's taking up space and time on track that the promoters could sell elsewhere and offset the cost. They certainly don't need the the marketing value that supercars brings because it doesn't bring anything beyond what Formula One does. It's already heavily subscribed in terms of Australian fans heading over there, particularly from Western Australia. It's not that far to travel. So I just don't understand why Singapore will be interested in spending a couple of billion dollars to have supercars there. If that's happened, then supercars has done a pretty good job in selling themselves because I don't understand the business model from the Singapore Grand Prix side of things. However, Kosh agrees that supercars would be a great spectacle on the Marina Bay street circuit. Supercars around Marina Bay would be a phenomenal experience, particularly if they were able to do it sort of in that golden hour as uh, as dusk sort of sets over over Singapore, you know, seeing the cars bashing the curbs in in some of the corners where they can, uh, running right up against the wall, against that backdrop, it's a phenomenal circuit. If you've ever been there, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, add it to your list because it's an amazing event, very well run, and it's right in the heart of the city. So you'll get the reverberation of the loud. V8 supercars versus the comparatively quiet Formula One cars, it will be a visceral experience. There's some logistics and some practicalities that would need to be overcome, uh, even just in terms of the style of racing that they'll be able to have over there, noting that it's a Formula One specific street circuit and there's limitations around pit lanes and those sorts of things. But it would be, it would be very spectacular if they could get it across the line. And I mean, this rumor has been going along for a, a long time of folks, and I know you've been across it every inch of the way. It's uh, It doesn't seem to be going away, and where there's smoke, there's usually fire. So I, uh, I've i little doubt that it'll happen, and it'd be amazing to see. I mean, I remember Carrera Cup years ago uh, when they are a little bit more uh, energetic than they are today, shall we say. And uh, yeah, it's it's a very cool circuit to see a swarm of cars closely matched like supercars and back in the day Carrera Cup was running nose to tail because you don't get that in Formula 1. So it's uh, it adds a whole new dimension to that event, yeah. More from Formula 1 expert Matt Koch about Daniel Ricciardo's return to Formula 1 later in the show. Parity still dominates discussion in supercars despite Ford's breakthrough post-aero tweak win in Townsville. The focus ahead of the Sydney Supernight at the end of the month is back on engine equality, as Speed Cafe Supercars editor Daniel Herrero explains. 
Well, the focus has gone back to engines since Townsville. Of course, the Mustangs rolled out with a new aerodynamic package up in North Queensland. It, the jury's out on how well that worked, but I think uh, the general consensus is it was never going to be a silver bullet anyway. So we've gone back to engines, which had been the focus previously. Dick Johnson Racing did some testing at Queensland Raceway in the days after the Townsville 500 now. Details on that are being kept hush-hush, but uh, we believe it was just engines. We don't think there was any aerodynamic work that went on. It would be too early to throw out that new aero package anyway. Uh, we'll get a better read on that in Sydney. But in terms of engines, it seems to be around throttle body. So we're thinking at the moment they're looking into changing the throttle body in that Ford engine uh, to an 80 millimeter rather than an 87. The idea there would be to... Um, to give it better, more predictable drives, it'd be calming down the rear tyres on corner exit. Of course, despite this, you know, new aerodynamic package supposedly adding uh, downforce that they'd been losing in the braking zone, uh, drivers were still complaining about excessive rear tyre wear. So this might not be the end of the parity uh, imbroglio, but this would be a significant next step if they can figure out a way to tweak that engine to calm down the rears. Supercars is really struggling to shut down this parity noise, isn't it? Yeah, well, they are. Um, it's pretty hard to not have some parity noise when the uh, the form line reads 15 wins for the Camaro and two for the Mustang. And, of course, really, it's 16-1 if we ignore all that uh, drama over the dry ice at Newcastle. Uh, there is There was a parity trigger that was triggered. Um, after Hidden Valley. So there's a, a process that they went through. There's some debate about how official that trigger is or whether it was uh, just some guidelines. Um, but, yeah, it, it's not gone away yet. Ford did get its, you know, first proper win, if I uh, use that turn of phrase, at Townsville. But um, the circumstances were somewhat fortuitous for Anton De Pasquale having the extra tyres because of his dramas on Saturday and, a three-stop strategy and then the timing of a safety car that really played into his hands. So I don't think anyone is under any illusions that it's solved yet. And even uh, even if this new engine spec does come in, there will be most likely further testing down the track. Uh, they're still working on the transient dyno and the, uh, the torque sensors are still yet to arrive as well. So we'll start to get some definitive answers over the next few weeks and months uh, and hopefully... For all concerned, it's resolved soon and we can uh, concentrate on some actual racing. There's also plenty of intrigue about driver changes for next year with Shane Van Gisbergen's future central to it all. Back to Speak Cafe's Daniel Herrero, who posits that Cam Waters may be handcuffed to a renewal with Tickford Racing. Yeah, the silly season is... It is uh, it is hotting up now in some ways, but it's just it's still unclear about how uh, how all the pieces are going to move around Shane Van Gisberg, and I think the general consensus now is that uh, he will leave at the end of the season. I'd uh, I'd suggest that's more likely than not at this point. I um I think he's been energized by his NASCAR performance and probably de-energized with respect to supercars. Uh, but in terms of replacing him, that's going to be the tricky one. So Cameron Waters would be the uh, the obvious next move. He's um, 
he's uh, one of the uh, better drivers in the fields. You know, some might say uh, as good as SVG. Uh, it's just interesting, though, his status with Tickford. He uh, he seems to not his camp seems to not be wanting to um, to commit to anything yet. But Tickford is uh, adamant that they have a contract with him. Uh, and my mail is that they're quite adamant that they um, that they have a deal with him and that they won't be letting him go, which means that Triple uh, Eight would have to be looking somewhere else. So at the moment, my prediction at this point in time, Cameron Waters stays with Tickford. That creates a problem for Triple Eight if SVG does go and they're not going to stand in his way if he wants to. Uh, alternatives, well, there aren't too many out there. You've seen a, a lot of the other drivers already under contract for 2024. So Triple Eight may have to get a bit inventive. If Van Gisbergen does decamp to NASCAR, and if Waters isn't free, Herrera suggests Triple Eight will have to look in-house for a replacement. Uh, yeah, Richie Stanaway is the uh, wild cardinal of this Van Gisbergen seat shuffling. Um, obviously, he's uh, SVG's co-driver for the Sandown 500 and the Bathurst 1000. He would be uh, a risk. We've not seen too much from him uh, as a solo driver. Of course, he's done very well in Enduro's past. But... Yes, Triple Eight does have history with taking a, a diamond in the rough and polishing it up. I think we can fairly say that's the case with its current team principal, who uh, who had a rocky start to his career and was eventually hired at Triple Eight in two thousand and six, and the rest is history. So, for Triple Eight, we may actually be waiting even until after the Enduros to get a read on which way they're going to go. If Cameron Waters is not available, then they might be best off to just wait and see at the moment, because I'm sure if there's anyone out there that's uh, sniffing around for that seat, then uh, you'd think they'd be willing to wait, given the state of the market at the moment. Among others in the firing line are Nick Perkett at WAU, almost certainly gone next year, and Scott Pye, tenuous at Team 18. Meanwhile, there's a swirl of speculation about the engineering lineup at Blanchard Racing Team. It centres on the future of Tim Slade's race engineer, Mirko De Rosa, claimed to be off on personal leave. Our man Herrero is not so sure. Yeah, at this point in time, uh, Blanchard Racing Team, we heard some heard a whisper a, a little while back that all might not be well there. Um, and then uh, we got some mail in the last seven days to say that uh, Mirko De Rosa, who's the foundation race engineer, is uh, leaving the team and uh, a couple of others are following him out of there. Uh, at this point in time, uh, Tim Blanchard is denying basically that that's the case. He's saying that no one's leaving, they're building up. They've obviously got this wild card in the works for Sandown and Bathurst, so they'll definitely need more crew members rather than fewer to facilitate that. But uh, at the moment, we think the number has solidified at three. So we suspect that it's three members of the crew there that uh, are leaving in quick succession. Now, in fact, we believe that one of them might have given notice just last week. So uh, we know that Mirko won't be in the garage at Sydney. The um, the official word there is that he's uh, away for family reasons. He's got family visiting and uh, 
and a child on the way. But uh, my money would be on not seeing him in that garage again this year. Um, where he ends up, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see at the moment. My bail is that De Rossa is headed for Premier Racing, which is aggressively discarding and acquiring personnel to move up the grid. More after this. Speedcafe.com, your number one source for all the latest motorsport news and features. Breaking news, live event updates, unprecedented global motorsport coverage, performance motoring news and reviews. All in the palm of your hand, anywhere, anytime. Speedcafe.com. First, fast and free. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. Welcome back. Daniel Ricciardo's return to Formula One is full of intrigue. He's taken over the second seat at AlphaTauri starting this weekend at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Of course, we're all excited that our Dan is back racing. But what's the end game here? Big Cafe Formula One editor Matt Koch thinks there's a lot more to this than meets the eye, as he cautions not to expect too much from Ricardo for many reasons. It's going to be a curious weekend. We can't go in expecting him to challenge for points that's beyond probably both him and the car. Alpha Tauri is the worst car in Formula One at the moment. We saw Williams take a step last time out in the British Grand Prix. That does leave that team, Alpha Tauri, rooted to the back of the, the field by some margin. So we've got to keep our expectations in check. He's new to the team for the first time in a decade. He's been there before, of course. He's alongside a driver who's Really at the top of his game, Yuki Sonoda is regarded as one of the top three performers on the Formula One grid this season, if you speak to the the other drivers. So it's against that backdrop that he goes into this weekend, having been out of the car, aside from the tyre test that he did following the British Grand Prix a week or so back. He hasn't been in a Formula One car since Abu Dhabi at the end of last year. And since then, he's had to undo a lot of bad habits. So... This is going to be a learning experience for him, an initiation process. He's going to be somewhere towards the back, and we are staring down the barrel of a, a qualifying one elimination. I don't think there's any escape of that. Okay, so what's the end game here for Ricardo? Is his future at Alpha Tower, or is there more to this than meets the eye? This is a curious development, particularly because it's come mid-season Red Bull we know is brutal it always has been you think way back to the days of Christian Klein, Vitantonio Liuzzi even more recently with Brendan Hartley they've cut and, cha- and changed very quickly but the way they treated Nick DeVries was incredibly harsh he only had 10 races that makes me think that this isn't about the upper towery seat that Daniel is in right now this is about applying pressure Red Bull's motorsport director, Helmut Marco, is a master at pushing drivers to breaking point in some instances beyond to achieve results. And it, it's netted results. You look at Sebastian Vettel, where he won the championship four times. Max Verstappen has thrived in that environment as well. So too did Daniel in his early years, it must be said. But this is applying pressure to Yuki Tsunoda. This is applying pressure 
also to Sergio Perez and the Red Bull team, who's been underperforming in qualifying for the last four or five races. But it also applies pressure to Daniel Ricciardo. He's got 12 races between now and the end of the year to justify his position in Formula 1. If he doesn't succeed in the next 12 races, his Formula 1 career is done. And then externally, it applies pressure to Liam Lawson, who's the next Red Bull Junior waiting in the wings, which arguably the AlphaTauri seat should be Liam's in this instance. So there's all of this happening behind the scenes as Daniel jumps in the car in, in Hungary. This is not about Nick DeVries. This is not about AlphaTauri. This is about pushing everyone else in that program along and hopefully either kick-starting Sergio Perez into gear or finding a uh, a replacement. Because Sergio Perez is the same age as Daniel Ricciardo, give or take. So this is about finding the next suitable alternative to partner Max Verstappen probably for the next three or four years. Kosh also warns that Oscar Piastri will struggle to repeat his British Grand Prix form at the twisty Hungara ring. Yeah, let's temper that enthusiasm because what we saw in Austria and Silverstone from McLaren, yes, it was extremely promising, but they're circuits that play to the strengths of the McLaren, even though it's been upgraded. The McLaren's been very fast in a straight line and at high speed, but as soon as that speed comes off, it's suffered through medium and low-speed corners. And if you're looking at a circuit all year that has medium and low-speed corners, Monaco is one, Hungary is the other. In Monaco, they excelled, but, but it was cold. The McLaren likes cold conditions. It's hot in Hungary. So going into an event, even though that car has been upgraded, it is probably one of the worst for McLaren on paper all year. So I'd be curious to see how Oscar does, and for that matter, Lando Norris. But certainly from a local perspective, it'll be interesting to see how Oscar does. If they do well, that's a really good endorsement for the rest of the year. Realistically, though, they're not likely to be in the points and probably a qualifying two exit is uh, is on the cards for them. But who knows? We've seen all season, as teams bring updates, they tend to leapfrog one another. So if McLaren's update is as good as Silverstone implied, then who knows? But I'm not holding my breath of another uh, second and third on the grid for McLaren and certainly not another podium contending race. Maybe when we get to Belgium, but not this weekend in Hungary. Hear more from Matt Kosh on Formula One on the Pit Talk podcast, a co-production of Fox Sports and Speed Cafe. Back after this short break. Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuel to national and state-level motorsport. And its range of racing fuels includes the BP Supercars E85, which is available to grassroots races. For power and protection over pump fuel, Race Fuels imports the Elf Race 102, as used by Porsche Carrera Cup and the Touring Car Masters. More info on Race Fuels E85 and Elf Race 102 is available at RaceFuels. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. In national racing, GT4 has been suggested by luminaries such as Roland Dane as the future of production car racing in Australia. Road car racing is dominated by BMWs and the likes of Dane say 
that the production-based GT4 class would open up the field at a much more affordable and competitive cost. Speed Cafe's national racing guru, Gary O'Brien, says GE4 is carving its own future. Well, I think it's going to be separate. That's the idea of it. This year they're running on a semi-slick. Next year they're going to run on a full slick. We started with four cars at the opening round. We had four or five in, at the second round, and we've got eight scheduled for the third round of the series. And, uh, yeah, from that point of view, it's looking good. There's a couple of McLarens joining for the first time. There's a second Janetta. Um, I think it's uh, it's got legs, so to speak. I think it's got a future. The good thing about QR is that they may not be the fastest car in a straight line. Those uh, Class X BMWs might be a bit quicker, but will they be able to stick with them over the course of a fight in the night, so to speak, an endurance race that will happen on a Saturday night? So you see GD4 carving its own niche, not necessarily replacing the, well, BMW-dominated production racing we have at the moment. Yeah, correct. Um, the idea is that they will run separately. It might struggle for a few numbers next year, but I, I think it's got legs. I think the following year you might see a reasonably good uh, field out there of GT4 uh, cars. This weekend, the Bosch Motorsport Australia Rally Championship resumes with Rally Queensland. Back to Gary O'Brien, who says the fight for the ARC title is well and truly on. Well, they've got 62 entries, so it's looking fairly big. Um, as far as the Australian uh, Rally Championship goes, interesting situation. We've got Lewis Bates leading the series, but Nathan Quinn has won two of the the four heats that we've had so far. That's uh, one heat at uh, Rally Launceston and one of the heat at Forest Rally. So, yeah, potentially uh, we could have a change of the leadership with the uh, Hyundai i20 of Quinn and his co-driver Ray Winwood Swift potentially uh, maybe going ahead. And it's looking like a pretty tight battle at the top of the uh, championship fight. Well, at the moment, it's Lewis Bates and Anthony McLaughlin at lead from Nathan Quinn and Winwood Smith, uh, Luke Anir and Malcolm Reed in third spot. Harry Bates is in fourth with Coral Taylor as his co-driver. They had dramas at the opening round, uh, which uh, made it for a DNF in heat one. So they've got a little bit of work to do. The one I think might be worth looking at will be the Troy Dow entry there ended this Mitsubishi Mirage G4, a new car to Australian Rally Championship, be a potentially uh, good one to look at, uh, maybe as an outright contender. IndyCar in Toronto headlined the weekend's racing. Here's Speed Cafe's Jackie Shiv with a roundup of all the action. Hello and welcome to this week's Motorsport Wrap where we watched IndyCar, Formula Drift and the Goodwood Festival of Speed over the weekend. The latest round of the IndyCar series was held in Toronto where Danish driver Christian Lundgaard qualified on pole and raced on to a 12 second win. It was his maiden IndyCar victory. One of Lundgaard's biggest threats came from three-time Supercars champion Scott McLaughlin. The New Zealander qualified second and led the race from lap 19 to 35, eventually finishing sixth. Fellow Kiwi Scott Dixon also led the race at points but was ultimately classified fourth, while Australian Will Power finished 14th. 
In Formula Drift, round five was filled with drama, rain delays and driver protests. Big names were out early following multiple collisions. However, it was Lithuania's Orima Buckets who clinched the win. At the end of the round, Ford maintains its lead in the 2023 Formula Drift Pro Auto Cup. And the Goodwood Festival of Speed hosted its largest event yet, attracting the likes of Sebastian Vettel, Jensen Button and actor and car enthusiast Rowan Atkinson. Despite strong winds forcing organisers to cancel Saturday's event, several supercars were unveiled over the weekend, including the Lamborghini Revolto, Pagani's Utopia and the one-off Ferrari KC23. Looking ahead to next weekend, Daniel Ricciardo will return to the F1 grid at the Hungarian GP. The World Rally Championships will race in Estonia, IndyCar at Iowa Speedway and in Australia. The Australian Rally Championship will contest round four in Gympie, Queensland. This is Jackie Shivey reporting for the Speed Cafe Newscast. Thanks, Jackie. Well, that's it for now. For all the latest motorsport news as it happens, go to speedcafe.com. I'll be back on Thursday with Damien Spy on the Speed Cafe podcast, discussing and dissecting the week's news. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 